Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, Episode 7. My name is Alina Warwick, and I'm excited to bring on Sandy Webster on this episode. And she came to the States from Jamaica. She started her entrepreneurial business ventures early on in her life, but eventually landed in a corporate world setting. The corporate world unintentionally was building her to become an entrepreneur. She started her marketing consulting company shortly after 9-11 happened with a business partner and had huge success. Let's hear all about Sandy's success story and listen to what she says about 401k plans and how she continues to innovate. Alrighty, let's get right to it. Okay, so Sandy Webster, thank you so, so much for coming on to my Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I really appreciate your time, and I'm so honored to talk to you about your immigrant entrepreneur journey. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Awesome. So let's get right to it. Let's talk a little bit about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the state? I am from Jamaica, West Indies, a little town called Hayes. The It's a district, not a town. The, the larger town is Maypen that is closest to us. And it's in the parish of Clarendon. It's mostly farming that takes place in in that area and I came to the U.S. when I was 10 years old. So what was it like growing up in Jamaica? It was beautiful. I enjoyed it. I was a, a very curious kid for a girl. I would say I was pretty much a tomboy, would go hunt birds with my brother and play marbles I was the only girl until my little sister was born five years later. So I became very tomboyish. <laughs> so what made you guys come out to the States? My mom was already here. My mom was in the States for, I don't know, quite a number of years working here. And she decided when I was 10 that it was time for me to come and start to go to school in the States. She saw that the school system here was a lot better at the time than it was in Jamaica. And she felt, okay, now's the time for you to move to come to to New York. Love it, love it. So Sandy, tell me a little bit about the struggles that you had to go through when you first came to the States. Some of the struggles I think... Now I'm looking back on it, it's, I can't even call it a struggle so much as you don't know what you don't know when you come here. Mm-hmm. When you're only 10 years old and you're picked up and transplanted someplace else, mm-hmm. where I didn't come here by will, my mom told, us, told me it was time to come and you do what your parents say. Mm-hmm. You don't really think about that it's a struggle. I think the struggle was for her to stay in Jamaica and have a decent job. And she had that here. So I never thought of it as a struggle. Some of the challenges maybe as a 10 year old that I went through, the school system was new. I had to make new friends. 
I think that's the same thing that any child goes through when their family moves, whether it's to another country or to another state or another neighborhood. And those were my, my challenges was more in, in being a, a, a new child in a new country. So let me guess, you probably didn't know any English until you were dropped off at school. We spoke English in Jamaica. Oh, that was not a problem at all. <laughs> it's an English country. It's a British. It was a British country until we became independent. So we Got spoke it. English. The, the, the challenge is there's a patois, a dialect that is spoken in mm. addition to English. So a lot of kids, a lot of young people speak that dialect so that it's easier in school. It's easier to communicate with your family. But English was the first language and we go back and forth. When I came to this country, maybe not my English, but my accent was a challenge for some kids. Mm. And kids could be mean. Kids could be mean, especially you come from a different country is they just know people who are like them and they can't think that they just think someone different is and i can't say the word bad but they mm-hmm. they know the difference as right. right 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 so were you raised in an entrepreneurial family did your parents give you any wise advice regarding entrepreneurial successes My grandmother gave me more entrepreneurial advice than anything else that, or I should say anyone else. My mom was a worker. She was a seamstress. I come from a family of seamstresses and bakers, great cooks and bakers and painters, pretty much people who use their hands a lot. And my, my grandmother is the one that always told me that as long as I have a skill, I'll never be out of work. She truly felt that. Even if you had a desk job and you could use your brain, you should always, always learn a skill that you can do with your hands or some way of making a living. And that resonated with me. So even though I didn't love dressmaking, I learned how to, how to be a seamstress at a very young age. Because that's something I knew I could always have, right? And I bake, even though I don't love love baking. I'm an excellent <laughs> baker. <laughs> I'm an excellent baker, but I give it away. I'm not, I don't love to eat the stuff that I bake. Too good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love it. Love it. So before you tell our listeners about how you opened your company, tell me a little bit about the path you took. Did you try going into any other fields before starting your business? Yes. Before I started my, I should say which business, because I started at a very early age doing my own business. I started as soon as I came to this country around 10 I started babysitting. I moved into a Jewish neighborhood in Brooklyn. I was one of very few black kids in the neighborhood. And I started babysitting. I started turning on lights before I started babysitting because in the Jewish community on Fridays, Friday to Saturdays, they're Sabbaths and Mm -hmm. they cannot turn on any lights, use anything electrical. So I was the designated person to turn on the lights and I Mm. charged a dollar. 
And then I started babysitting, which turned into a, a bigger daycare activity. So those were my first entrepreneurial ventures. I did other things. Uh, I crocheted. I sold baby clothes. I would make hand make uh, crocheted layettes for babies and sold those. I used my seamstressing skills on my friends if they wanted a custom made outfit through high school. So I was always entrepreneurial. Wow. Always. Awesome. So what path did you take to um, open a Pandy LLC? Well, Pandy derived from the fact that 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, I was working in the corporate world. I had a very nice job. I made good money. I was con- I was content with what I was doing as a job. I wasn't content as a fulfilling, rewarding thing that I was doing. I knew I, I was reaching the end of my rope in the corporate life. So in one sense, 9-11 had perfect timing because I was already planning how to escape the corporate world. Mm-hmm. I had started to invest in houses and renting them out as a a means of income for when I left. When I started buying up houses, 9-11 happened, I would say a year, less than a year after that. As actually I was in the middle of buying a house when it happened and I Mm. had to close the deal. But I just started preparing myself for eventually leaving the corporate world. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Another thing that my my grandmother always said was, if you don't control your own destiny, you'll always be broke. Wow. And That's so powerful. Being an entrepreneur is controlling your own destiny. You're responsible if, if you get paid. You're responsible if you don't go out there and hustle. It's all on you. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to continue on an entrepreneurial path. And corporate world prepared me for that. I was an executive. I went back to, I went to grad school while I was in corporate, actually undergrad and grad school, got my MBA, managed a budget. I did everything I needed to do in the corporate world in order to start my own business. Hmm. I worked with customer service. I knew collections. I'm not sure what part I did the technology side. (laughs) And, and it was all a perfect storm because when I started my company, when you're a startup, you have to do everything on your own. Mm-hmm. And I was more than capable. I had a business partner, thankfully, and she also came from corporate. We worked together. And I, I didn't look back. I felt very confident in the skills that I acquired in the corporate world that I could translate that to my own business. And I did. Wow. And and how old were you when you started that business? My consultants to go after 9-11? Yes. I was just turning, I, I turned 40. I was 40. Awesome. Awesome. I, I turned love 40 it. the same year 9-11 happened, the November after 9-11. And then uh, the next year I started my company couple of months later. So tell us a little bit about your company and what it does. Well, what it did, I, I can tell you about the company. I left 
to start and then can tell you about what I do now. Awesome. The company that I left corporate world to start was called Consultants To Go with a number two. I'm sure if you Google it, it's still out there somewhere. <laughs> we were a marketing company when we started out. We provided marketing consultants to Fortune 500 companies. In the beginning, it was Sandy and Peggy, who was my business partner. We did the consulting ourselves. And then as we grew and found more projects, we hired moms, uh, ex-executives from the corporate world who decided to stay home because they couldn't get a flexible work arrangement or the ability to work from home. And so these really senior women dropped out of the workforce. Hmm. We decided to hire them so that they can get back into the workforce as well as make a viable salary for their families. And they had to work from home or they could choose their own schedule if they wanted to go into, into the project once or twice a week or every day. They had their choice of what they wanted to do. So we had a captive audience for that and corporations really, really needed the skill set at the time after 9-11. They didn't want to hire more employees and so they'd rather use our consultants. So mm -hmm. that worked out perfectly for us. We grew from starting out in the financial services industry to adding the telecom industry, insurance industries, retail, we just expanded horizontally, right? Okay. And so that company, we grew, Peggy and I, we had it for about 16 or 17 years, and we sold that company in 2018. We sold it to, because we added on analytics as a practice, and as you know, analytics is growing right now, mm -hmm. and data is king right now. Mm -hmm. So that company has probably doubled or tripled since we sold it in 2018. Happy about that because yeah. that was a, a good decision for us to sell and it was a good decision for them to buy. Some of our employees are still there, so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. After we sold the company, Peggy and I moved some of the assets that we had that we did not sell into our own company called Pandy, which is acronym for Peggy and Sandy. It was really just a holding company. We still have the company. We built apps, we published books. We have our books, you know, Black and White, Strike Gold. That's one of our ISBNs and we published that. Peggy also published uh, another book through there, a children's book for, for her mom. We did workshops, we did keynote speaking. There were all these different things that, that were ours and needed a home. We also invested in companies as well. And so we kept that in Pandy as a holding company. Fast forward, I took some of the, the workshops in speaking from Pandy and moved it over into my own company which is Sandy Webster LLC. And that is an online educational platform that I will be launching at the end of October. The whole goal is to teach mostly women business owners 
about the parts of business they've always wanted to know and were afraid to ask. So one of my first courses that I'm launching is how to form an advisory board. Because a lot of a lot of business owners do not have an advisory board. Mm-hmm. And we did and we we think it was extremely critical to our success mm-hmm. in selling the company. So that will be my first court. Kind of wow. all of all of my life there. Sandy, you just keep on innovating and innovating. There's no stopping to you. That's amazing. <laughs> and and I don't feel that I should stop. Mm-hmm. There are always new things coming out. There are always new ways of doing things. I'm a learner. I, I am very, very an avid learner. I take classes all the time, especially now in Zoom land. There's just so much out there on the internet for free. But I try to soak everything up when I can. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And so did you have to raise any capital to start your first business? No, we did not have to raise any capital. We started those, that business with about $2,000. We took it and bought computers and we were in business immediately. Immediately. I could not have done that at, I could not have done that now. Mm-hmm. At the time when we started, it was a time similar to this. COVID mm-hmm. now was the 9-11 then. Mm-hmm. And as you see, a lot of entrepreneurs started a new line of business during COVID. And that's what we were doing in 9-11. The old paradigm didn't work. The world shifted and we started a new company. Mm-hmm. We didn't need much to start it, just like People are not needing a lot now, but creativity and ingenuity. If I was starting that same company now, yes, I would need a lot of funding. A mm-hmm. lot. So it seems like you're you're well-versed in the 9-11, so you're sailing smooth due, due to COVID. <laughs> well, you know, I, I find that I strive in this environment. Right, right. I'm able to think think fast and think how can, what are the needs of the customers at this time and move with that. Awesome, awesome. So Sandy, did you prepare yourself in any way like taking courses, going to events or reading a bunch of books that would prepare you for your entrepreneurial path? When I dove into it, I did not read a whole bunch of books at that time. But once I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur, then while we were in the business, things would would arise and we wouldn't know what to do. So, yes, Peggy and I became course junkies, as I call it, <laughs> especially free courses. If it was free, <laughs> we would be there. And that's how you learn the things that we didn't know. We were very grateful. We had quite a few people who would just take us under their wings and taught us what to do, told us where to go to get the information. Uh, We went to SCORE. I went to SCORE. SCORE is an organization that helps business owners. They're all ex-corporate executives and volunteers, and they will help you start a business plan. If you Google them, they're throughout the U.S. So Mm -hmm. I went to SCORE. I went to SCORE first as a volunteer, a marketing volunteer to help nonprofits. And I wound up taking a class or two there 
that helped me in return. I also did a lot of a lot of courses with, you know, the Chambers of Commerce have free courses for entrepreneurs. You can find the government has free courses. If you go to New York City, they have new few courses for entrepreneurs. There's a small business services in New York City that is excellent. Mm -hmm. I now mentor part time in that in that program for for small business owners. And a lot of the the colleges have free or very very low cost courses for business owners. So I took whatever wherever I could get it. Mm-hmm. You were soaking all of it in. <laughs> yes. I'm a learner and I'm a teacher, but I'm, I learn as much as I teach. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And so I'm really interested to know how do you look at failures and how do you overcome them? I don't consider anything a failure. For me, it's a try. We tried it and it didn't work. I refuse to think think of things as failures when I do, my people will not try anything new. And especially if you're living in a world where you have to pivot and pivot is the key word of this year, mm-hmm. you have to think on your feet and you have to try things. I learned, I learned a little while ago, I think Grace Liver is a person who teaches this about imperfect action. That's something that is done and launched is better than something that you never tried to even do. Mm. Because once it's out the door, even if it's imperfect, you've taken action with it, right? Mm-hmm. And you have an opportunity to fix it. And you have an opportunity to get feedback on what is right, what works well, or what are the areas of improvement. And that's how I think of things. I will try it if it doesn't work. I don't deem it a failure. Maybe I tried it at the wrong time. Some mm-hmm. things are seasonal. Maybe I should have tried it in spring and instead I was trying trying it in winter. I, I always go back to things as well. Try mm-hmm. it a different way until, until something clicks. And you also have to know when to abandon as well. Mm-hmm. If you've given it the good old college try and it doesn't work, then abandon and try something else. Failure isn't failure until you quit, right? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Right. Right. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So let's chat a little bit about successes. But before you get to answer that question, I just want to prep you. The reason why I ask about successes is to show the immigrants that they can do it too. So with that, I'll leave it up to you to share whatever success you would like with our listeners. Well, the biggest success was my business. But my mental success is the thing that made me successful. I have the ability to focus maniacally on a task that I want to get done and I won't stop until it's done. I've known that about myself for a long time. It can be crazy from the outside looking in Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I get that focused, but I do. Laser focus helps me to be successful. Yeah, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur because that was I saw that as my retirement package. I didn't see corporate as something as long as I was waiting on a paycheck, 
it would be the same amount and you get a small raise, a small increase every year, right? Right, right, right. You could be the one bringing in the most money in the company, but you're only going to get, I don't know, a thousand dollar increase is amazing to some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, while if you're working by the hour and you're making $10 an hour, going to $15 an hour is, you know, a huge mm-hmm. promotion, right? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make enough money for me to think about retiring, not worrying in my old age. And entrepreneurship, I thought, was the way to do that. If I could control how much money I make, then I could do it faster, uh, more accurately and faster. And that's what that's what drove me to be successful. I also saw how hard my mom worked all her life. You know, as an immigrant, she was the first one here. And she took she took jobs, seamstress's job. Those were jobs in the garment industry was huge back mm-hmm. in the sixties and seventies. But it's piecework. You you get paid by the amount that you work. And that's companies like Spiegel, which was a catalog. She worked there. She made neckties and neckwear, which was big in the garment district at the time. But she had to work two and three jobs. She could never make enough off one job mm-hmm. to support us. And she, she had a, a day job a night job, and a weekend job. Wow. So I watched her work ethic and the way she was willing to to work hard as an immigrant to make sure that her children were successful, didn't have to follow in the same path that she did. And so she thought education was the way, and, and it was for her. It was for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. She made sure we went to good schools, which is why I lived in a Jewish neighborhood, because she didn't care if it was a public school and it was one of the best. That's where she wanted us to go. She didn't care if you have to run home from from mm-hmm. school or not. But I, I watched her and how she operated and felt, you know, she's in a union. And how much is a union going to give you upon retirement? And what about the people who are not in unions, mm-hmm. who are out there not having a pension or not having anything, which in the corporate world, they took away a lot of those plans and gave us 401k or other savings vehicles. But it was up to us to figure out our own retirement, right? And for some people, if they were good, and put money in a 401k plan, more than $10 a week, then that's fine. But there were a lot of people, especially immigrants, who do not trust those kind of vehicles mm-hmm. and did not take out 401ks. They let their money sit in the bank and not gaining any interest or not compounding for them because to them that was safe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we didn't learn we didn't learn at the dinner table about stocks and bonds and how to, <laughs> right? Those were not words at my dinner table. Right, right. Dinner table is survival time, like how much, <laughs> what bill is going to be paid. And I, I mean, not for nothing. My mom was great at it, but that we didn't come from people who spoke stocks and bonds. 
Mm-hmm. And so as uh, the gener- first generation that went into the workforce, I had to learn those things. And they didn't teach it to me on the job either. They throw mm-hmm. a paper in front of you and say, here's, here's a 401k, go home and tell me what you want. Mm-hmm. And it, it was up to, to me to educate myself on stocks and bonds and how to invest my money. And mm-hmm. I think every immigrant family should do that. That should just be cultural part of, okay, we need to understand the vehicles that are used in this country. Sandy, I think that might be a good um, course for you to create because you're <laughs> totally right. And I totally agree with you because immigrants are so afraid to talk about 401ks and they're so afraid just- about talking about stocks and bonds. So that might be something in the future if you wanted to consider that. That would be great, yes. great. They, I've, I've- thought about having financial courses for young people as well, because we don't talk about those things at home. You might know your mother invests in something, but you don't know how, you don't know why. And a lot of, a lot of immigrants just don't invest. Right. We're living day to day and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you need extra income to, to invest. And that's because you think the 401k or the stocks and bonds is a big scam. <laughs> yes. Yes. They were taught that. And and it, it can be a scam if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But go as with anything else, get yourself educated about it and learn if it works for other people. It can work for us, too. We just have to take the time to learn it and to understand it and 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 be safe and secure in, in what we're doing as well. Awesome. I love it. Love it. And so, Sandy, is giving back, either volunteering your time or giving back to the community, something part of your business values? Absolutely. It's it's one of the most important things in, in my business. I, I volunteer so much. <laughs> if yeah. I were to get paid, I probably could retire. <laughs> from volunteering. But my passion is helping women business owners. Mm-hmm. We work really hard. As I said, I watch my mom, you know, work really hard. And as a woman, we are already behind the curveball. Mm-hmm. All, all the stuff that's going on now about making sure we have parity. It's 2020 and we don't have parity. Mm-hmm. Whether in income, we don't make the same amount of money men make, even if we do the same job. So mm-hmm. all the equality stuff is just kind of bubbling to the top right now. But women have a hard time still in the workforce. We don't get money. We don't get financial advice. We don't get the, the things that we need, especially with so many single moms out there. We need that to be successful for our children. And we don't get that advice, uh, not unless we know to go get it, right? right? If someone tells us, but it's not easily and, and readily available to us. Sometimes it's available, but it's going to cost money that you don't have. So therefore, it's not available to me if you, you know, it's not cost effective. Right, right, right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sandy, um, did you have any mentors that helped you out at the beginning stages of your entrepreneurial path? I've had mentors throughout my career. Awesome. 
there was the the one mentor that helped me the most was while I was in the corporate world. I was working in retail and he decided he was moving over to financial services. He took a, a new job, better income. And he always told me, he was a white man, and he, all, he said to me, you need to make sure you go back and finish school, Sandy, because no one will ever tell you this, but I'm telling you. A lot of people will not hire you uh, unless you're, you're way, way better than white people says i'm a white man and i'm telling you that i i want to see you succeed i think you have the drive but you must go back to school because the same job that someone who's not an immigrant and not a woman mm -hmm. they would need just a high school diploma to have that job mm -hmm. but as soon as they see me coming they're going to need a college degree for that same job. Mm -hmm. They're going to request a college degree. He said, I want you to go back to school and get your college degree. And I did. I listened to him, and it's the best thing he ever did. He also brought me over to the new company where he was working. He got me a job there, and that's how I grew in my corporate career. I started out as a secretary and worked my way up to the director level. Amazing. Amazing. That's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what are some things that you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business listening to you right now? The person listening to me right now, well, hopefully they, they have some ideas of what they want in mind, but don't just jump into it. Uh, I used to tell people at one point, oh, just jump into it, just go do it. But a business takes planning. And mm -hmm. the, the more you plan up front, the easier it is to launch, the more focused you will be because you know the direction in which you're marching. If you don't plan it out and just you're opportunistic about it, I'm not saying you can't be opportunistic if the opportunity comes up, take it, but then sit and do the planning behind it. And mm -hmm. when I say planning, Know who your audience is. I'm doing that right now with, with the new business, the online education. To whom am I speaking? Who's my audience? Who's going to buy this stuff, right, in common language? Who's going to buy this thing that you're, that you're making or building? What are the service that you're selling? And be very specific about it. Is it men? Is it women? Is it men and women? Like, is it young people? Is it just for a certain age group? Is it for senior? Like, get as specific as you can. And I always say, build a picture of that person. If you could find a cutout in a newspaper and say, this is the person that I'm selling it to and give it a face, then you know how to market yourself and present yourself to, to your audience. But take the time to do the legwork. I don't care if it's an escalated time frame, but having something down on paper gives you a roadmap, much better roadmap. For a business plan is a roadmap. I, you probably just need a one-page business plan that kind of projects out how much of my widgets do I need to sell in this business. 
but having a clear mind about those really initial things will help you a lot in your business as you go forward. Mm -hmm. And having that vision and, and writing it all down, I think it will come into fruition because if, if we do that act of writing it down and we are so intentional, then fast forward, it'll eventually happen, right? And with that, Alina, I would say you have to be intentional, but ask other people. Don't be afraid to do the research on it. If you build one widget, show it to four or five people and say, what, you know, do you like using it? Try using this and let me know how it works. And you take that, the areas for improvement, and you put back into your widget and, and keep improving. If it's something they like, you keep that and then add on to it. But if you just go out there without doing some, some mini research, you'll probably fail or you'll spend a lot of money unnecessarily trying to correct things that are done. So go, go out slowly and then build it up. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So we'll wrap up with these last super fast questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. What time do you normally start your day? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm sure it or varies. Only because I don't know when my day really starts or ends. I only need about three hours of sleep. No way. <laughs> yes. Where are you from? I'm from Jamaica. <laughs> Another planet, Sandy. Another planet. I've, I've always, I've always, my whole life, even my mom will tell you as a little kid, I don't need a lot of sleep, Alina. Wow. So when you ask me what time does my day start, I'm not sure because it ends and starts around, you know, some wee hour of the morning. I I go to bed typically pre-COVID. Okay, let me cut, put it pre-COVID. <laughs> Pre-COVID, I go to bed at around 2.30 a.m. Wow. And I would be up by 6. Right, six or six thirty. That was my natural groove. I don't drink coffee, and I don't drink any anything with stimulants. I don't drink alcohol, but that's that's kind of how my day runs. I I usually get up around six six o'clock or so, six thirty, and then start slowly from there. So I have very long days. You're extremely I'm, productive. I'm trying to get back on on a schedule again. Um, and I live by my calendar. That also helps. I put everything down on my calendar. How many employees do you have? I don't have any employees this moment. At this moment, when I had the other business, I had over two hundred employees. Two hundred? Yes. Wow. The business that I sold, but in this business, it's a startup, and it's just me. And I use freelancers and contractors as I need them, or mm -hmm. I just have vendors who do things for me. Once mm -hmm. it gets up and running, I anticipate that I will be hiring, but that probably won't be for another couple of months. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, how often do you watch TV in a week? Oh, well, let's say this week. I think this was a stellar week for TV watching. <laughs> I, I watched maybe four hours of TV this week. And I watched debate. I watched part of the debate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I couldn't focus long enough to watch all of it. Yeah. 
And then I'll watch news, you know, a couple of minutes of news in the morning, maybe. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I, I could live without a TV. My TV's not on. And now I get a lot of news on the internet because it pops up as I'm working on the computer. So mm-hmm. I don't need to do that. And then I have my favorite, you know, my favorite friend, Alexa, who, <laughs> if I need anything in a rush, I can always ask for in terms of news. Right, right. Awesome. And the last question is, what is your favorite food, Sandy? That's interesting. <laughs> because if you had asked me that a couple of months, well, maybe a year ago, it's undoubtedly uh, baby back ribs. Undoubtedly. <laughs> now, I've had to stop eating pork because my cholesterol is up. So I'm looking for a new, a new food. I'm into a lot of vegetables these days. Uh, it's not exciting, but... It is exciting. I love it. That's my favorite food too, vegetables. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a lot of different things with veggies and I like it. So Awesome. Sandy, thank you so, so much for coming on my podcast. You know, you are a true inspiration to all of the immigrants listening to you right now. You're, I'm sure your story is going to resonate with someone sitting out there in the corporate world that wants to escape. And so I wish you all the best of luck. And thank you so much for coming on my show, Sandy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great night. Bye. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you got some awesome wise advice from Sandy. I know I learned so, so much from her from this episode. If you're listening to the show and you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, go ahead and email me at hello at alinawarwick.com. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode.